Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to the Dunn Solutions Podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting-edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today we'll hear from Dan Bodden. Dan is the president of Legal Eagle Contractors and a nationally recognized remodeling expert. Dan is also the 2017 NAHB Remodelers Chairman and founded the Certified Aging in Place Specialist Program in 2001, the program commonly referred to as CAPS. He has appeared on HGTV as well as in many national publications and teaches courses across the country on remodeling, design, and construction law. On today's podcast, Dan will offer tips on how to win bids for remodeling projects, including how to demonstrate confidence and promote the value of your company, why it's important to understand the motivation behind your potential client's project, how to discuss budgeting and project costs with a potential customer, how to present yourself and your business during an in-home consultation, and how to reorganize your proposal in order to maximize the impact and effectiveness. For information on attending future educational events, feel free to email me at jimc at dunlumber.com. Good. I hear that your market is pretty good, and I don't know if you guys have heard of the Remodeling Market Index. Anybody heard of that, the RMI, or Remodeling Market Index? Contractors, remodelers across the country are interviewed about how things are going in their market on small projects and medium projects and larger projects. And there's an index that goes from 0 to 150 being sort of a flat market for remodelers. If the remodeling market nationwide is below 50, things are kind of dragging. If it's above 50, that's a good thing. Even if it's just a point above, it's considered a good thing for our industry. We have been at 55 or higher for the last 16 consecutive quarters. And the prognosis is for that to continue for our industry. From what I've heard talking to your group so far, your remodelers, you have a very strong market here and a, and a long backlog, and that's great. More power to you. I know there are enough Californians moving up here to just dying to give you their money, so you're going to be able to stay busy for a really, really long time. All right. Let's get this. Let's get this show on the road. So I'm going to talk to you about a proposal that I created last year, the year before, Top 10 Secrets for Winning Proposal Presentations. Most remodelers aren't born salesmen. We, a lot of us came up as carpenters. I did. I started framing houses in high school and had my own little company going by the time I went to college and law school. Um, but we don't, we've never had any you know, formal sales training. So we leave a lot of money on the table in our industry. Uh, we don't charge enough for the risk we take. Um, we are afraid to ask the ultimate question. Uh, you know, are, are we going to do business together? So I'm going to cover some of the points that I've learned, not just in my own business, but from other remodelers that are top folks around the country that I've had the chance to network with you know, over the years. So hopefully you'll pick up a couple of tips in here. So one of the things I want to ask you before we even get it any further into this is, how many of you have ever bought something and spent more than, more than you wanted? A pair of jeans, maybe a sexy car. We all, I mean, we've all done that. If, I, if I, I could probably ask you how many of you have done that in the last month, and most of those same hands that go up. So why do we do that? Most of us consider ourselves frugal, and yet when we see something that we really want, we just we have to have it and we spend the money. So why do we do that? Raise somebody tell me why why do you do that? Because you want it. What more specifically? You're buying on emotion. What else? Convenience. Say again? Convenience. 
It might be something that's convenient, so you might buy it online, for example. There's, but there's something in that transaction that makes it worth it to you. And I, I think probably the best word is value. So it's valuable enough to you at that moment that you're willing to spend more than you normally would because you know you're getting something that's going to make you happy, something that you're going to like. Well, guess what? Our remodeling sales are just like that. And yet we don't do a good job in many cases of in, impressing upon our clients that we bring that value to them. So if you pitch a job and you don't get it, it's because you didn't get to that point with the client. You didn't get to the point where they said, you know what, I, I, I know this company's really good, so I'm going to pay more. The value proposition is there for me. And we do that because either we don't have the confidence to go forward or we just don't know how to, how to uh, express that. So we're going to talk about that uh, during, the, during this little talk tonight. I'm going to wander around a little bit so I won't block people too badly. So this is just kind of a roadmap. So it, really the sales process and for closing your job starts at, with the things that you do at the beginning when you first start uh, interacting with your clients. So we'll talk some things that about some things that happen at the front end and then some stage one things. What, what do you do with the, fir the first phone call? What should you be doing there? The stage two is uh, the first meeting and, and putting the bid together and then finally when you actually get there to, to close the job. So move forward here. So I'm going to go over some great ways to stop wasting time. For example, don't go out to the job first. Don't take a phone call from someone who says, I want to do a kitchen remodel and say, OK, let's make an appointment. I'll be out there next Thursday at 2. You need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing a one-size-fits-all sales presentation and use a lot more psychology. I'm very fortunate. I have a, a degree in psychology in addition to a legal degree and, and, and my construction credentials. So I've, I apply that in my business, and it's, I, people fascinate me. And the more you know about how your client thinks and perceives things about their own lives and you, the more likely you are to get that contract signed easily. So you basically want to custom fit your sales presentation to your client more than you are now and make it a, a, just a mere formality. When it com comes time to sign, they already know the numbers. Their piece of paper is just a memorialization of what you've already talked about, and they already want to buy from you. It's not sitting at the table and go, I hope you'll sign my contract. I see these other bidders' bids on the table. It, it, that game, we don't have time for that game anymore, and I know you don't, as busy as you are. So a lot of this is about finding out what makes people tick, where their pain is. The Sandler sales system talks about where people's, the homeowner's pain is. What is, it, what is the problem that you need to fix? So you basically end up um, spending more time showing the clients that you're the only choice that they should pick, that the value for them picking you is higher than the value for picking anybody else. And like the examples that you had in your own head when I asked you about spending more, that's, that's the way you want your clients to think. They can actually think the same thing about a six-figure transaction or even a seven-figure remodel. So before you go out, you, uh, how many of you have a form on your website that you ask people to go to and fill out? Contact us type form? Everybody should have that. So we don't do enough with that form. So that's your first stage of pre-qualification if the lead comes in through the internet or your client calls that way. So everybody has, you know, give me your name and address, what kind of project you want to do. That's fine, but ask them what their motivation is. Uh, there's a guy, I got a list of questions I'm going to give you in a minute on what you should be asking. Spend a lot more time on the phone in the first call or two 
vetting them. How many of us have wasted time going out to projects and when you get there, you knock on the door, you go in, you go, what am I doing here? This is not a good fit. I'm wasting my time. I've wasted so much time doing that. How many of you done that? Yeah, lots, every remodeler in the room. So take enough time to figure out what their personality type is. And we're going to talk about some personality types. And just basically spend a lot more time pre-qualifying people on the phone rather than driving somewhere out to their home and wasting time with somebody that's not really a strong candidate and a, or a good fit for your, for your business. So you should have a list of questions in front of you during that first phone call. So in my office, I have a, an office manager who answers the phone most of the time. She's good at doing an initial pre-qualification. And then, and then I come in and do the second layer of that. But she knows to ask questions, um, what part of town is your project? And maybe that's the part of town that's too far. In my city, it's huge. I, can't, I don't go everywhere. I only work in a small radius. If you've designed your business well, you only want to work in a small radius because it's much more efficient to move your labor around. It's more profitable to do that rather than being sort of a geography whore and going you know, all over the place, wherever the calls may, may come in from. <laughs> Sorry, that was not, not very PC. My wife is looking at me like, why did you say that? It's, it's the gin and tonic. I can't, I don't know. So um, is it my kind of project? Maybe, it's, maybe I don't do any handyman work, and that's what they need when you put a screen door on, but really I don't do anything that's less than a $25,000 project. So you have to know what, what you will, are willing to do and not for a new client. Um, ask them about their motivation. What do you hate about your house now? People love it when you ask that question because it gives them a chance to tell you what makes them uncomfortable, what they've always wished they could have, what, and so on and so forth. I'm going to have to go really fast because I have 10 minutes. I told too many stories at the beginning. All right, so uh, are you in a hurry to do your project? If so, why? Got a baby coming and it's, you, know, it's, you have to have the project done by this amount of time? Um, uh, are you having um, relatives come at Christmas and the project has to be done before then? Find out what, what their timeline is like. Are you talking with other contractors, interviewing other contractors? And that's fine, but I'd like to know who. I don't mind competing against a fellow Remodelers Council member but I don't want to compete against a bunch of guys that are not qualified and waste my time. Is there a reason, if you've talked to contractors already, you haven't picked one of them? And that's a, you get an interesting answer. Well, they were all too expensive. How many of you talked to? Five. Were the prices all kind of the same? Yeah, they're all too expensive. Are you going to sell that job? Do you want that job? No. You do not. How are you going to decide how to pick your contractor? What's, what are your personal criteria can tell you a lot. They'll basically tell you how to sell them. Uh, rank these things in order of importance to you. Speed, price, and quality. If they jump right to price, do you want to go out on that bid? Probably not, because they're price focused. Describe your project to be sure that you have the, the tools and men to go do that. Decide when, all the, uh, when can all the deciding parties get together. I know it's hard to get husbands and wives to every initial meeting, but I've had projects killed, and I'm sure you have too, by the husband waltzing in at the last part of the, at the contract signing because he wasn't involved in anything else before that and killed the deal, and it's very distressing when that happens. So uh, budget's a great, it, it's, it's a lot of fun to play around with the budget. I, I ask in my website form, who, what is your budget or budget range? Some people will answer and lie. Most people don't, they really don't know, but maybe they don't answer at all. So you, you have to do storytelling. So you want to do a kitchen, Mrs. Jones? I don't, what, what do you want to spend? I don't know. I have no idea what these things cost. Well, we've done a kitchen that was 
$25,000 for one of your neighbors and one that was 50 and one that was 150 and you describe what those were and then you say which one of those are you thinking about and then you sit back and you shut up don't say a thing make them speak next and it'll tell you and if they go oh my gosh I thought kitchen remodels were $10,000 uh, you know then you've got some explaining to do before you go out on that call so that's a way of getting people to give you some idea what their budget is be sure you go out like a, like a professional, take a, a tape measure that's the most expensive one that you can find because your DIY husbands that are out there who come to the door, they're ready to talk to you at that first <laughs> meeting and they've got their Black & Decker or whatever on there. You need to have your Fat Max Mega Pro you know, tape measure on there so you're more professional than he is. Um, I use a laser pointer, a green laser pointer. So you know, people are just like cats and penguins. You take a laser pointer out and go, I think that fur down ought to come out right there. And then cabinets could drop down. You put your microwave right there. And they will just, they're like, they can't not look. You cannot not look. You have to look. And if it's green, I use a green one. So they go, why is it green? They're usually red. And I go, we do green remodeling. So we're, we have, even, even, our, even our laser pointer is green. So, lots of fun. Take your shoes off at the door so you, they know you respect their home. Um, um, don't be adjusting yourself on the way up to the front door. People, especially if you're on time, they're actually looking at, at you out the window. That's not the time to pull your fly up or anything else that has to do. You should be get out of the car ready for action and be, I'm just telling you, because I've seen it, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. It's very, and it doesn't make a good first impression. It really doesn't. All right, so sit at a table. Don't go, don't go back to where they want to, let's say it's a bathroom remodel. Don't let them take you to the location of the remodeling. Sit down, have a conversation with them, and get to know them first. Make them like you, then talk about the project. The only exception is your super anal engineer type guy who really wants, that's all they want is facts and figures. Go back, what's it going to cost, how many steps is it, and if you can answer those questions, he'll sign a contract that day. He does not want social fluffy conversation, that guy. But most other people want to sit and talk to you um, at a table first just to get to know each other. Find the main problem, offer a solution, and, and don't forget to discuss your why. This sounds like a fluffy West Coast thing to do, but what I'm saying there is, your motivation on what you love about your business. What is your passion? Why do you do it? Do you do it just for the money? I don't think that's the only th reason that we go and do these wonderful remodeling projects. I think we do it because we love to see uh, the, cha the creative changes and the process and, the cha and overcome challenges. And we're doing good things in people's homes that are going to be there for many years. So that's an example of, of a why that a remodeler might have. You Tell that to people. They, they will resonate with that. They like to hear that. Ballpark costs and don't give them ranges. What do people hear if you give them a range? The high end? What do they remember? The high end or the low end? They only remember the low. And then uh, before you leave the meeting, this is the asking for the business question. Okay, I've taken a look at your project. It looks like it's going to be about $250,000. That's just a rough ballpark. But if I can bring the project in around $250,000, can we do business together? A lot of us walk out of those meetings without asking that question. If they say, oh, no, no, we're really not there. You need to go back in and talk to them some more. Or you walk out and they're thinking, I'm not going to do that. And then you spend all the time writing up a proposal and they're not, they're not signing it because you didn't ask that and find out soon enough 
but they weren't quite convinced of your value. If you want to have a great presentation package, I have a Love My Project party flyer that I give to all my clients that says we're going to put on a party at your home, an open house. You can invite your friends and your neighbors and take a look at the remodeling and I'll have a couple of my staff there. It's just uh, wine and beer and, um, and finger foods and they love it. If they're, it's, it's, I, I love my project, I want to show it off. It gives you a chance at the end before they trash it, clutter it up, <laughs> to, uh, to show it off. So change the form of your proposal. This is going to be a new idea for some of you. There's something called the rear end effect, and no, Mike, it's not what you're thinking. It means uh, it, it's an effect that says people tend to strongly remember the last thing that they read given a set of facts or a set of pages to read. So why do we put our price last? We tell them all the good stuff we're going to do, specifications, and then we tell them the price at the end, and what, what is, it's like they get hit with a ton of bricks, and they, they forget all the stuff you told them about what all is included. Well, I suggest that you reverse that and, do, and use this technique. You put it, your price at the beginning of the project. Your project is going to cost $35,680, and then you follow it with this very important phrase. And that includes some very special things. And their, their brain will sort of click from it away from price and go, very special things? What very special things? <laughs> I've never seen anybody do that before. So then you start talking about your very special things and you get them off a of price. This is even before you go into the scope of work. So these are some of the ones that we do. It could be your warranty, our you know, good processes, we have a party at the end, and things like that. I'm, this, this PowerPoint will be given to staff, so if anybody wants to see it again, you can have access to it. And then this is another model for looking at your client's personality types. And uh, so you want to basically match your selling technique to those personality types. This is a huge amount of information about the DISC thing, but um, we don't have time to go into it this evening. Uh, find out if they're a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learner and tailor your comments to that. Auditory people will say, um, I've heard that the countertop material should be this or that. A visual person or an auditory person, I'm mixing those up, auditory was, was hearing, visual is I really need to see more samples, kinesthetic is I need to touch the tile, I want to see what the non-slip texture is. So if you talk more about in those terms to them, uh, they, they'll think you're the best remodeler ever. I always offer on tip 8 of 10, so I'm, get, I'm getting close to the end here. Um, always include some options that they, they can say no to. So I put in things like, I may not even have talked to them about these things, but I put these in my contract as an option they can say yes or no to. They can say yes or no to sun tunnels or upgrading to the top of the line paint um, and extend the warranty, replace the rest. You're putting new windows in the kitchen breakfast room, but what, here's a, a price to replace the rest of the windows in your house. Why do we do this? Because people need to be able to say that they said no to something, especially in the husband and wife dynamic. So they need to be able to uh, um, to be able to have a discussion where the wife says, I really think this is great, I want to go forward. And he says, it's too much money, I don't want to do all this stuff, kitchen's not really my, my thing. She'll go, but honey, I said no to the skylights and the toe kick lighting. So really, we're getting a deal. I mean, I'm showing some real self-restraint here <laughs> because I said no to some stuff. I said no to some stuff. And just that little thing can make at least a 10% difference in your closing rate. In your closing rate. Give people something to say no to. 
have us, and these are the last two, have a special deal to offer. So we, on our whole house reno, uh, renovations, we have a professional cleaning crew that comes in. Well, we, on all our projects we do, but we, t we sell it for $1,500 to the client. It costs me less than half that to get done. So if someone's wavering, I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, if we could sign the contract today, uh, at, uh, would you sign the contract today if I give you the $1,500 cleaning, professional cleaning at the end for free? Or whatever, just pick something that you can give them. And that often pushes people all over the fence to close the transaction as well. So I, that's not something remodelers do enough of, but it actually is a very effective technique. Have something to offer to give them for free if they'll sign the contract and pick you and move forward. And, and lastly, this is kind of circles back to the beginning, believe without question that you're worth it, that you have the value to bring to them. And don't let them go until you've convinced them that you believe it and that they should believe it too. And if you do that, signing the contract is just a formality and you'll close a lot more jobs. Say what? That's the one we just did. Believe without question that... No. No. Oh, 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 always leave and go out to your car for five minutes. Oh, that is an interesting one. So I'm going to take a couple minutes of my Q&A time here. That's all right. So this is an interesting one. If, someone's, if it's a done deal, slam dunk, don't do this. Just sign the contract. Get them, you know, just don't, don't get up. Just, it would be weird. But if, someone, if, if you're not sure how it's going and they don't seem committed to you quite, uh, tell them you need to go out to your car and get a copy of your warranty or something. Have something, a document in the car that you're going to go get. Give them a chance to talk for a couple of minutes without you being in the room. That can make a huge difference in what happens when you return. Because they're going to have a conversation as soon as you walk out the door anyway. But if you walk out the door and they have a conversation that's negative, you don't have a chance to change the outcome. If you come back in and it looks like one of them has convinced the other not to do it, you have a chance to rehabilitate them and maybe provide an answer to a question, overcome an objection, and get the contract signed. So give them a chance to have this little spousal chat before you come back in for the final thing. And you'll see it sort of, it, it will fall one way or the other. They say you come back in, they go, we love you, we'll sign right now. Or, yeah, yeah, I don't know, we want to get more bids, whatever. So let's get us into question and answer time, starting with Joseph. No, that number 10, I had a friend that taught me a long time ago, he called it the shitter closet. The what closet? Ah, all right. Well, I won't repeat the I won't repeat the name of that technique, but it's, let's call it the uh, the bio break technique. So it'll be a little more. This is being recorded, so we'll call it the bio break technique, where you excuse yourself to go to the bathroom. That's perfectly fine. I mean, if, you, if you're there, if you're gone a full five minutes and you're a guy, they're gonna they're gonna be coming back to the bathroom and following you with matches or something, but. But it, do, it, does get you, it does get you out of the, uh, out of the room and give them a chance. So I like that. The name, I, I would probably change the name a little bit, but thank you. Good, great suggestion. Great. Did you guys hear what he said the first time? I'll mouth it for you. The clause of the technique. Starts with S, ends in R. That's the closest I'm getting. So a lot of interesting ideas here. What do you guys think? You got some questions? Anybody got a question? Not even Mike has a question? Wow. Yes, thank you, Melissa. Sorry. Um, we talked about proposals and everything else in regards to sales. What about backlog? Do you have any suggestions on how you handle backlog 
and uh, being too busy to take leads that are coming in your way. So the question is, we've talked about sales, but what about uh, explaining backlogs to people? The fact that your company's too busy to get to them anytime soon. I know many of you, that's a really, really great question. Many of you are struggling with this. I'm struggling with this more than I ever have in my entire 35 years in business because of the flood. So I have way too many people that, want, that need help than I can get to. So what you have to tell people is what, uh, you have to be perfectly honest with them, first of all, and you need to tell them um, that you have to approach uh, your projects in a, a kind of a first come first serve basis and that you are trying to work with as many people as you can, but the reality is your company only is so big, we can only do so many jobs a year, and we're not gonna sacrifice quality to do that, <laughs> to change that model. We could go out and double the number of jobs that we are doing right now, not knowing for sure if we have the labor to handle it, but that could be it, result in a big quality difference in, the, in our work product, in the finished product, and we're not willing to do it. So come up with reasons like that where you are showing your integrity by not changing your model and just say, I know that it's difficult to wait. I know that you might even pick another contractor to work with. Um, I hope you won't do that. I hope that, that you can wait. And I pledge that we'll get to you as soon as you can and that we'll communicate with you uh, along the way. So if, if I tell you six months, I'll check in with you at three or four months and let you know how it's going if we can get to you sooner. So if you kind of keep the connection going and have touch points with people along the way and tell them, that that should help. Does that help? Yeah. Answer? Dan? Yeah. Yes, Sherry. Well, I think back to Melissa's question is that contractors are very, very busy right now um, in almost everywhere because of the labor shortage. And I think a client needs to be informed of that and also told that if someone is available in a very short uh, order, they need to look into that person who is available because there's probably a reason they are available. That's a really good point, yes. Contractors have quite a backlog right now. So she's saying that, that most people have a backlog if they have any experience or integrity in the market at all. So, uh, so you should ask people or, or teach your clients, hey, I know you're in a hurry, but think about this. All the good people are booked for a while, so if you have somebody that comes to your home and tells you they can start in a month when everybody else is telling you six months plus, you need to be very wary of that. You need to ask them a lot of questions, uh, a lot more questions than you normally would. I have a contractor test on my website, which you're welcome to steal and modify, and it's 11 questions that I, that I ask my clients to read over the phone to all the other guys. It's a test only I can pass, because I wrote it. <laughs> but it has a lot of really great questions. Do you, are, is this, are you a member of the Builders Association? Do you have your EPA certification? Because the fly-by-nighters hardly ever do. Um, do you do this kind of project as a steady diet? Are you mainly a custom builder and you're going to try to do a remodel and you're going to screw it all up because your systems aren't good for that? So there's a list of 11 questions like that that help pre-qualify other people, especially if they're fly-by-nighters, out of the picture. <coughs> We also have a three-column checklist called the Contractor Comparison Chart. On the left is all the, good, the things a good contractor has and does, and on that column we have every, a check mark in every box. Then next to that is a series of blanks, and it says Contractor B, and then there's one for Contractor C. And we give that to the client at the first meeting and say, even if you've already talked to some contractors, call them on the phone, ask them these questions, over, go down the list of, 
of the, the things that would be typical of a good contractor and just check boxes and you'll be able to see at a glance who has the most check marks. People like these, you know, at a glance kind of things. So this can be a great way to, to show that you have more, more a value than the other guys do. And I'm happy to send that to any of you that, that would like it. Uh, or I can send it to, to staff as well. Um, I have some cards up here if you want a business card that just let me know, drop me an email and I'll send it to you. But we had another question over here and then I'll, and then I'll come to you. Something I've learned over the years is backlog can sometimes be viewed negatively. So a, a more positive way to state that is my current lead time is. So that then they're saying, oh, this person is a good contractor. They have this much work ahead of me as opposed to a backlog saying, well, shoot, I can't go to them because, you know, you're, you're kind of... So it's, like it's kind of using the right word. So he's saying backlog isn't the best way to express that that can turn some people off. But if, you, if instead you call it your lead time, my current lead time, use that exact phrase, that's much more palatable. And it sounds like you're going to be working towards getting to them as soon as you can. And it's, a, it's more palatable. I like that, that change a lot. It's a good suggestion. Excellent. We have enough time for one more question. And Dan will be here, I'll be here. after our meeting to be able to ask some more questions if you'd like to come up on a one-on-one. -on -one. Yep, be Jim? happy to do that. Yes, sir. What if you'd be willing to share kind of the details in your legal background, I mean, the details of your contract from down payment to progress payments, but maybe how much is hanging out there at the very end if somebody, you know, disagreement, they say, I'm not paying you. And if so, what, what percentage of the contract would you actually put for it versus walk away and just move on to the next That's about five topics that we could spend an hour on a piece. <laughs> so he's asking, you know, about the, about the contract, what should you have in your contract, how should you set up your payment, particularly at the beginning and end, if you get into conflict with a client, when do you walk versus going to court? So let me answer the last one first. I, I do a lot of expert witness work, attorneys like me because I know the legal stuff, and I can tell you from representing, having represented a lot of contractors and builders in arbitration, mediations, and actual civil trials, that the courtroom is not a friendly place for contractors and builders. You can have a great case. You can be right. You can have a wacko homeowner. You think as soon as that homeowner gets in front of a judge or jury, they're going to be seen as the wacko that they are. And this is a slam dunk. I'm going to win. And then you lose. And you're just like, really? How could that possibly happen? Everybody sitting on that jury has had some sort of negative contractor experience or knows somebody who has. And you have to fight upstream of that to even get even. So you need to really try to settle cases, even if it means taking a loss. Uh, so there's a financial reason for doing that, actually going to trial, which probably most of you don't because you have an arbitration clause, hopefully, in your contracts. Everybody should have that. Uh, but also, there's, a, there's the, the toll on your person and your family. All of us have been in conflict situations with clients, and maybe just in family and life generally, where you squirt stomach acid and you lie there at night and you, you're just tied up like a tight knot for weeks, at, sometimes months at a time. That's really hard on your body and you're crabby with your family. You just you don't do that. Litigation will have you in that mode for two to four years. Don't, don't do it. Life is too short. Better to take a financial hit, get the best deal that you can. If it's a serious, there's a lot of dollars involved, $50,000 or more, you should have an attorney help you negotiate that settlement. But settle it and move on. First of all, can we please have a huge round of applause for Dan Bonner? Thank you. Thank you.